Tim. Thank you, praise team. Let me invite you, if you would, grab a copy of God's Word and uh, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians as we continue our study uh, in 2 Corinthians. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 12, and we're going to make our way down through verse 17. And as you're turning in your Bibles there, it is interesting as we think about uh, where we are, not only within 2 Corinthians, but even where we are as we think of our walk with Christ. That as we think of how we are ingesting the news and processing all of what is going on around us, even as we think of how it relates to the circumstances of our own individual lives and wherever we may find ourselves and whatever we may be uh, going through at the moment. I wonder how, when you walked in to church here this morning, or maybe when you woke up this morning and opened up God's Word, how is it that you're looking to Jesus? As you think of Him and as you look to Him, who is it that you see? What sort of words would you go to describe Him? And as you think of that, I mean, we've used many in the songs that we've sung today, and we've had all sorts of wonderful reminders of who He is and how He is and what He's doing. But one of the most hopeful things that we can be encouraged in is not only reminded of all the things that He has accomplished, but be reminded in in His totality that Jesus Christ is triumphant. He is victorious. He is mighty. That is objectively true. And as we walk in Scripture here today, it is amazing to see as we are being led to look to Jesus in in this way, because when you look to Him in this way, you are reminded of all the many reasons and all the great reality that is laid out in front of us as to why we ought to trust the triumphant Christ. Grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12 and read down through the end of the chapter in verse 17. And let us walk together and see all the many reasons why we ought to trust Him. Verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. And we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? But we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have come with our minds full of information, with our lives full of experiences with many concerns that are heavy on our hearts and many circumstances that are so far beyond our control that we honestly don't even know what to do. Lift up our eyes that we would trust the triumphant Christ. That we would see all the many reasons to trust you even in the ways in which our lives don't always go the way we expect them to. And all the ways that you are at work spreading the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere through us. Father, in all things in every way, lead us to trust you in a way that we didn't when we walked in the door. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for another opportunity to study your word. And it's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray together. Amen. As we find ourselves in this passage of Scripture, and of course as we think through the context and thinking about the God of all comfort and the God who raises the dead and the, the one who, through whom we have reason to boast and what he's doing and all of the promises find their yes and amen in Christ and thinking of forgiving even those who have repented and we saw all that unpacked and then in the middle of all of this we have these reminders of trusting the triumphant Christ. That this is not about you know one person's ministry, ministry trajectory and his own glory or anything like that. This is about leading one another to trust in Christ for who He is. But the fact of the matter is, as we know, if you've lived more than a couple of minutes, you know that things don't always go how you plan them. Things don't always go the way in which you thought they were going to be. You get married, and a day later, you're like, this is not exactly what I was expecting. You have children, and a day later, really a couple of hours later, you're like, this is not what I was expecting. These realities meet us and we come face to face with Him. What do we do? Look at verse 12. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord. He's, t- he's really unpacking even still his travel plans that he made reference to earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And in thinking of Troas, right? Many of you are familiar with the city of Troy from ancient Greece. This would be a, a connection with the city of Troy there on the, eastern, I mean, on the western coast of, of Asia. And thinking of all of the ways of the history and the unpacking there. And this is actually the place, Troas, from which Paul received the Macedonian call in Acts chapter 16. That he was in Troas preaching the gospel of Christ when he has that vision and goes over, as we may describe it, for the first time to preach the gospel in Europe. This is a familiar place. A church had already been started there. He was coming back on another missionary journey to preach the gospel of Christ. To preach that we all have a sin problem and that Jesus is our only hope. That Jesus lived in perfect righteousness, died on the cross for our sin, rose from the dead, and that there's forgiveness and everlasting life to any who repent of their sin and trust in him. That Jesus is victorious. He says, I came there to preach the gospel of Christ because real people need to know that there's forgiveness. Real people need to know that there's hope, that there's peace and there's joy. And that Jesus is not just a transaction that takes that took place, but he is the treasure worth knowing. And he says, and the opportunity was there. He says, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, God opened the door. And we like open doors, don't we? You see an open door, and it's like, you just feel compelled to go through it. Like, well, it's open. Why shouldn't I go in there? Maybe when you were a kid, right, you walked into your, your, your sibling's room or something, and they're like, what are you doing coming in here? You're like, your door was open. What did you think? It's like an invitation for me to come in there. We like open doors, and we like when we know that they're laid out in front of us, but our lives are not always lived in this way. It's not always this straightforward. He says, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, The open door was there, the church was there, the preaching point was there, but when circumstances lead to changing plans, can you still trust that God will accomplish His purpose? Is Christ triumphant even if He doesn't work by our own plans? 
He's like, this is not how I had seen this working out. I had come to Troas. There was an open door of gospel ministry there in the Lord to preach the gospel. And yet he says in verse 13, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. Titus would have been the one who would have brought news of Corinth. We know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, which we'll get to eventually. We know that he would have brought news of Corinth and what was going on there and the issues. Paul wanted to know how they responded. Paul wanted to know whether or not they were obedient in everything. Paul wanted to know if they were loving this brother with truth and with love and with care and with that sort of grace-centered, gospel-focused attention to detail. He wanted an update. And this concern was distracting. And we know what's that, what that's like, don't we? We don't like it when matters are left unresolved. Because when we've got that lingering out there, it becomes distracting to everything else. We just can't stop thinking about it. We just can't get over it. And so our attention just naturally gravitates there over and over and over again. And he says, look, I came to Troas thinking I was going to find Titus there, an open door of gospel ministry, but Titus was not there. My spirit was not at rest. This is unsettling, isn't it? When things don't go the way in which we plan them. We've lived this as parents before, haven't we? When you've got something going on in the life of your child and it's just overwhelmingly concerning and you go to work and you do your job and you do your work and you get things done and yet at the same time it's as though you can't even remember what it is that you accomplished because you spent so much time concerned about this situation. It's like that circumstance where you can get in your car and you can drive somewhere and you're thinking about one thing and yet you make it to your destination. But when you make it to your destination and you get out of your car, you all of a sudden realize, I don't remember the path between where I was and how I got here. Because I was just so consumed in thought with what was going on over there. And we ought to see this as we think broadly of 2 Corinthians and God's power in the midst of our weakness. This is Paul admitting his own weakness. That he's not always in the game, as we may say it, as he ought to be. That he carries these concerns, but that his carrying of these concerns does not mean that his weakness has overcome the triumphant reality of Jesus Christ. He's saying, just because it didn't work out the way I planned it doesn't mean Christ is not triumphant. Even though we may not be at rest in our spirit because the details are not looking the way we want them. Ultimately, who do we trust? When we're distracted and overwhelmed, is Jesus still triumphant? Because Paul goes on to respond to his own troubled reality, his own troubled spirit. He says, so I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. He left. He had an open door of preaching the gospel and he says, but I left. I went over to Macedonia with the expectation that I would find Titus there. But in actual fact, this is an act of trust by the Apostle Paul in the triumphant Christ. That he's not going to do one thing by, at the same time while overwhelmingly distracted by the other. 
Because when you do, you try to do two things at once that require your attention, you usually just do two things very poorly, don't you? That's why we don't want people to text and drive. Because on the one hand, your messages don't make any sense. And even worse than that, you could have killed everyone around you, including yourself. It's dangerous. You just wind up doing two things poorly. That's why you shouldn't read a book and try to watch TV at the same time. It doesn't make any sense. You've got competing voices. You've got things that you're sort of bouncing back and forth in attention. And at some point, we have to admit our limitations. Paul did. He says, my spirit was not at rest, so I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. You left. But can we really trust the triumphant Christ when the plans change? When we're distracted and overwhelmed and we don't know what to do and we just need answers? Is Christ still at work? How would we glean any of that from what we just read? Well, if you're tracking along with the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul in the middle of all of this, the Apostle Paul did leave and he went to Macedonia and eventually made his way down to Corinth and then started making his way back and eventually made it back to Troas. You can read about this in Acts chapter 20. And interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 20, this open door of gospel ministry was still there. And really in a special way, because in Acts chapter 20, you find that wonderful passage of Scripture that has encouraged long-winded preachers of all generations because it was the time when Eutyches was up in the window and Paul gets long-winded and he's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching. And what happens? Even though I know it never happens here, the poor guy fell asleep. But even worse, he fell asleep, and then what? He fell out of a window. Aren't you glad you're not sitting in the windowsill? What happened then? He was raised back to life. A display of the power of the gospel. Was the open door still there? Is Christ still triumphant? Even though it didn't work out exactly how the Apostle Paul planned it, look at what God did anyway. See, it's a matter of who do we actually trust here? Who is it that we're looking toward? Who is it that we're encouraging one another to look to? Trust the triumphant Christ even when your plans change, when it doesn't look the way you planned it. Jesus is still triumphant, which is why he immediately, right on the heels of this, says this in verse 14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. He says, thanks be to God. He's writing this to the Corinthian church, most of whom were overwhelmingly frustrated with his changing travel plans. He's writing this knowing that it was frustrating for him because he was awaiting news. And so he had to leave and change his own travel plans. In the midst of all of those circumstances where you've got times where you just want to rip your hair out. Where you lose sleep or you get absent-minded about things. Thanks be to God. There's always reason. Because Jesus is always victorious. Jesus is always triumphant. And that our lives are the context for the triumph of Christ. What a hopeful reality that is. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession.
that if you're in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you have salvation in Him, you know that Jesus has been triumphant over your sin. Jesus is triumphant over death and hell. And you live in the hopeful reality that Jesus who died is Jesus who rose and that you are justified with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know the victorious triumph of Jesus didn't stop there, but He is triumphant over all the sin that plagues us and removing that and sanctifying us and shaping us ever increasingly in the likeness of Christ. And yet at the same time as he's working that out in us individually, he is leading us in triumphal procession. He is not haphazard. He is leading us. Even though it feels like we may be leading ourselves and making our own way. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus is leading. God is leading us. Do we see this? He is the one who's providential, who's exercising this kind of sovereignty. And he uses this wonderful, vivid illustration here, leading us in triumphal procession. He would have known good and well that Corinth was a place where the military had major sway. It was a military colony is how it started. There were people in all manners of the military who had retired there, who had gathered there, who had built their lives there. And so this would be a very vivid illustration for them. A Roman triumph being really a parade for a victorious general through the streets of Rome that had all these interesting aspects to it. That there would have been one that would have just happened in recent history to this as General Astorius was given a Roman triumph after he had conquered the Britons in AD 51. The Roman triumph included trumpeters marching in the streets. They would be leading out, and right behind the trumpeters, there would be carts of all the spoils of all of what they had plundered in war. The residents of Rome would be lining the streets, and as they are witnessing this, they would be shouting forth, triumph, triumph, and then the captives would be paraded, some to execution, others would be given mercy, and they would become Roman. There was an array of musicians, and then the military, the soldiers, and then the general is brought forth. And all the while, while all of this is going on throughout the entire city, there's incense just being waved in the air. So even if you couldn't see the triumph, you could smell it. And when you smell it, victory is in the air. You may not see it, but you can smell it. Keep in mind, this is Christ's triumph, not ours. You think about the way the the Apostle Paul would have applied this in his own life. He was a former enemy of the gospel, a persecutor of the church, who had been conquered by love and grace and had become a servant of Jesus. We also, as believers, are trophies of his grace, redeemed rescued, that we can look back over our lives and hear the shouts of our brothers and sisters in Christ as they look to Jesus and say, triumph. He's been triumphant over our sin. He's been triumphant over our hell. He's been triumphant over the wrath that we deserved. He's been triumphant over our death. He's been triumphant over all that's been hopeless in our lives and joyless in our lives and even pointless feeling in our lives. Jesus is triumphant 
And it's like the exclamation point on it is finished is the triumphant work of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that even as, he, as this is taking place in triumphal procession, he's through us spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So that you can look at your own pathway here. It's not pointless. Wafting in the air of your life as you're a believer is the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. And it's going everywhere. As you look at your life right now, it's probably very different from what you thought it was going to be 10 years ago. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. Point is, you just didn't know. You didn't know what was laid out in front of you. But as we're being led out by the Lord Jesus Christ, he's wafting the reality of the, victor- the victory that he has accomplished for us. The aroma, the distinctive aroma of knowing Christ, of knowing him who is our savior, him who is our hope, he who is our peace and our joy, the one who is the substance of all grace and love in our lives. And the aroma creates its own distinctive memory, doesn't it? It's interesting how we connect memories with smells. I can close my eyes and smell fried chicken that my Grammy was cooking whenever we showed up at her house for Christmas. I can close, it's like I can smell it, which of course makes me hungry. It's amazing how that connects in our own minds. Every time I smell barbecue brisket, I think of my dad. Maybe there are certain fragrances in your own life. Maybe it's perfumes. Maybe it's, you know, any number of things. It's the sensory reality where it becomes so overwhelmingly memorable. But better than the smell of Home Depot and all that wonderful lumber, better than anything you're going to dig up at the department store counter, God's victory on display as he's wafting the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. So that means as we're living our lives with our family and friends, it's not just all the things that we say, but our lives are a declaration of wafting the victory of Christ around us. Waving it out in the air. When life doesn't go as we planned it, as we find ourselves maybe in the hospital or the doctor's office, or we find ourselves at work, or we find ourselves in the midst of whatever leisure, wherever or whenever, we find ourselves, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the aroma of his knowledge is spreading through all throughout your life. But we ought to expect that the reaction to this aroma will be mixed. Because he goes on to say, For we, speaking of brothers and sisters in Christ, we who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we who are the conquered ones who have been conquered by his love and his grace, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. As a body of believers, the aroma of Christ to God The aroma of victory, the aroma of Christ's righteousness applied, the aroma of holiness worked out in our lives, the aroma of steadfast love that endures forever, the aroma of grace and redemption. That we could walk up to one another across the pews and look at each other and be like, what fragrance are you wearing? It's the aroma of Christ. The aroma of Christ to God. 
And it's wafting out among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And it's interesting even the way this is word. Those who are being saved, those who are in a current state of salvation, who are growing and alive in Christ and enjoying the benefits of knowing Christ, whose lives are fruitful and who have evidential holiness, who refrain, the refrain of triumph declared in their lives as matched by this aroma of the knowledge of Him. There's also going out among those who are perishing. Those who are presently dead in their trespasses and sin. Who are delighting in darkness. Who despise the whole idea that they would even need God's grace. Who if they died now, they would face immediate judgment. What mercy that God would spread his aroma through us everywhere. What an invitation for God to do this everywhere. Catch a whiff. Smell test the air. What's your response? As we think of the aroma of the knowledge of God, the aroma of His grace and His love, is it attractive? Or is it repulsive? What's your response? See, your response here to the knowledge of Christ speaks volume about the current state of your own hope in salvation. Because he says in verse 16, to one a fragrance from death to death, and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? That the aroma of the knowledge of Christ garners a reaction. Some love it, some hate it. It's just like the way in which it may be around Christmas season in your house. Somebody in your house loves going to Bath and Body Works. Loves going marching in that store and smelling everything on the wall and all those sorts of things. And you got all your little cards and waving around. And for the, some of us, it is the smell of death. It is an unholy assault on your nasal passages that you want to flee as soon as possible. That's how we are with certain types of food. Sometimes you love the smell. You're like, give me those collard greens because I love them. Or give me that fish because I love it. And other people are like, that smells terrible. Get that stuff away from me. But as you consider even the triumph itself and continue with that in your mind as an illustration here, that there would be captives being led out who would rather proudly die than humbly receive mercy. That for those who are dead in your sin, who would proudly rather take your own chances on your own life than to have your life laid out into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and you despise his grace. This aroma that's being wafted around is not the aroma of victory but of loss. The triumphant reality of Christ over those who are perishing, over those who do not know Christ, to them it smells like death. It smells like loss, loss to their life, loss to the things that they see as most important, loss of self, and it's disgusting to them, as if they would smell that and say, what is that smell? And this is how many respond to the gospel. Like somebody who's driving by something that they catch the smell in their car, and all of a sudden they close all the windows, close all the vents, and speed up as fast as they can. This is how many respond to the gospel of Christ. I don't want anything to do with it. 
I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me that. I can remember one circumstance where there was a girl in a bookstore that my sweet wife sought to share the gospel with. And she was, this girl was looking at books on witchcraft and everything else. And Meredith just went to start a conversation with her. And as soon as it turned to where Meredith started to bring up the gospel, the girl covered her ears, started shouting at the top of her lungs, shut up, shut up, shut up, and went running out the front door of that bookstore. The aroma of the knowledge of God to her was absolutely repulsive. What a good God that he still wafts the aroma of his steadfast love even when people don't see it that way. What a good God to waft that aroma amongst your family members and friends who need to know Christ who respond with such vitriol and yet even still God in his mercy and God in his grace is still wafting the aroma of his knowledge everywhere you go. To some it's going to be the fragrance of death to death. To the others it will be life to life. It's the smell of victory. It's the smell of triumph. It's the smell of I was once lost, dead in the darkness. And I'm alive in Christ and he saved me. And by his steadfast love, he sought me out. When I cared nothing for him, he loved me first. And he displayed his love by sending his son to die on the cross for my sin and rise from the dead. And there's forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. And you smell the aroma and it's not stale and it's not stagnant, but it's stagnant. It's moving and it's active and there's enjoyment and there's just life in it. And it just invites in and you want it in every area of your life. It's like you get that air freshener you finally like. And you're like, well, I don't just want it in one room. Let's put it everywhere. It's the aroma of the gospel. The aroma of the triumphant Christ. Put it everywhere in your life. Because the reality is, if you know Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord, it's already there. Who is sufficient for these things? Why would he say that? Because it's again grabbing their attention and saying, don't trust Paul, trust Christ. Who is sufficient for these things? He is. God is. Christ is. It's an ultimate directed, directional shift to point us. Who do you trust? Some will be delighted. Others will be disgusted. Only Christ is sufficient. Trust the triumphant Christ. To waft the aroma of his victory through every area of your life. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Here's who we are not. Although there are many peddlers of God's word. There are many counterfeits out there. If you just got into the Greek text, I mean the word would be adulterate. Those who are intentionally making cheap substitutes to look like the real thing, even though ultimately they are not. 
counterfeits that look like they have all of the value and in fact they have none of it. Many who would market ministry for selfish gain, adulterating the word for profit, fleecing the flock. You think that's not the aroma that you need? This is not who we are. Peddlers of God's word. Trust the triumphant Christ enough to know that his aroma is perfect. His word is perfect. And we need not mess with his recipe. The God of all comfort, the God who raises the dead, who from eternity past has loved us, who sent his son, who was born, who lived, who died, who rose again, who bore the wrath against our sin in himself on the cross, laid down his life, and three days later rose from the dead. He has spoken. He has given us his word to know, to love, to listen to, and to speak, but not to manipulate. Not to make it about ourselves. This is about the victory and the triumph of Christ. And so as men of sincerity, as people who have nothing to hide, who are not trying to trick anyone, we recognize ourselves as commissioned by God, and so in the sight of God we speak in Christ. Messengers with His message. Recognizing that He sees and He knows and He's sorting it all out. So we speak in Christ, in the sight of God. The glory of the Son, who is the Savior. The joy of the resurrection, the clarity of His holiness and His righteousness. The magnificence of His majesty. That every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But only the knees that bow and the tongues that confess before death will bow in adoration and wonder. What a gift and what a warning. What a reminder of salvation and reconciliation and redemption that we find in the gospel. Trust the triumphant Christ to spread his aroma through you. And that the more you walk with him, the more you trust him, the stronger the aroma you'll be. How do you respond to this? Well, in large part, that depends on what you smell. As we speak of Christ, as we speak of the reality of man's sin, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we speak of the horror of the fact that it's appointed a man once to die and then comes the judgment. And that if you stood before God the Father and he asked you about why you should go into heaven, and you, what would you say? Because it can't be on account of your own good works because all your good works are as filthy rags, are already tainted with your own sin nature. Not to mention you have all the backlog of things that you already know you wish he never knew about. What do you do? See, this aroma of the knowledge of Christ, even that you may have come in here thinking this is the most repulsive thing. Maybe you promised your mom or promised your dad or promised your grandparents, I'll just try it one more time, even though I hate it. Maybe in the moment God has transformed your own heart and it's time to respond to the gospel. 
that Jesus lives. And that Jesus came in the flesh and Jesus lived and died and rose again for you. Ultimately, so that we could recount the words of Jesus in John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Won't you repent and believe the gospel here today? And for all of us, as we think about our lives and try to navigate all the things and try to plan everything else, trust the triumphant Christ. As we try to sort out all the details, trust the triumphant Christ. As you find yourself in the midst of a situation that you may not even like, trust that the triumphant Christ is wafting the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere and that somebody around you needs that. And that God is using you in ways that you never even thought possible. However the Spirit leads you and guides you to respond to Him today, may it be a declaration of your trust in our triumphant Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how clear You are. Father, we pray for anyone in here who has never yet trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Who up to this very moment may very well have completely misunderstood the gospel. Who may have been delighting in darkness rather than the light, and yet by your grace and for your glory, the light of your holiness and the light of your love has pierced the darkness today. May they in faith simply lift their eyes, recognizing they have nothing to offer, but recognizing the outstretched arms of your love and mercy. And Father, may they simply look to you and say, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died and rose for me. Father, for all of us in here, as we seek to make sense out of so many things, Father, may we ever look to you and trust our triumphant Christ. May we trust that you are at work in ways that we do not yet understand, and yet you are wafting the aroma of your victory all throughout our lives. Father, in all things and in every way, may we come away today trusting the triumphant Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.